battle is back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host. And for the very first time, I have a co-host. It's not just me anymore. Sean Carey Tattoo, the MMA Handicapper of the Year, is now the co-host for Half the Battle. Sean, welcome to Half the Battle as the co-host, my man. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be free of my previous chains. <laughs> well, it's definitely good to have you here, man. I mean, every time you've been a guest on the show... The fans, the supporters, the listeners, they're always hitting me up. When are you going to bring Sean Carey back? Well, guess what, guys? Now now we're stuck with Sean Carey. Now you're going to have to hear from him every single week. So uh, That's right. I'm not breaking down one girl's fight either. It's all movies. I can't help myself. <laughs> the classic movie time is coming back. Uh, Alexa Grasso, Heather Joe Clark, they're the, the featured actresses in that film. <laughs> but first up, man, Sam Alvey's minus 230. Alex Nicholson's plus 190. This is the featured fight pass prelim. And you know what? Besides the Elias Theodoro fight, I can't think of too many boring Sam Alvey fights because it's one of those things where, you know, he knocks dudes out cold. He has God-given power. But the biggest problem with him, especially coming from a betting perspective, is, man, he waits way too long. He's super patient. He'll, He'll just walk around the ring. He'll smile at you, and he'll wait for the perfect opportunity to throw that big counter right hand. Now, as far as Alex Nicholson is concerned, he has the exact style to play in the Sam Alvey's hands, you know, because Nicholson's going to run right at Sam Alvey. He's going to try to take him out from the beginning of the, of the fight, you know. And if you watched his last fight with Devin Clark, the way he got caught there is the exact way I think he's going to get caught here. He's going to run in with his hands down and his chin up, get countered by a big hook, and he might go down face first. The question is, is he going to be able to recover from that? But, I mean, guys don't usually recover when Sam Alvey hits them. But when you bet on Sam Alvey, you always take the risk that he's going to show up and not throw. I mean, don't forget about the Elias Theodora fight. And also, don't forget about the fact that Alvey failed to cash the under one and a half against Kevin Casey. So, I am picking Sam Alvey to knock out Alex Nicholson, but I'm staying away from a bet, Sean. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. The price when it came out was a little bit too rich for me, but <clears throat> where it is now is is getting kind of is getting kind of intriguing. Um, Sam Alvey is one of those guys who waits for the perfect timing to land the shot. Just waits and waits and waits. And the problem with him, he, he doesn't have the best timing. He's not very fast. You know, what I mean, like he tries to pressure you, wait for the counter, uh, and, and and hopefully hit you hard enough to get something rolling, but. It, Plenty of times enough, he'll wait forever, let the other guy rack up points and lose around that way. The thing with him against Alex Nicholson is Alex Nicholson is super sloppy, and he'll give Alvy plenty of chances to land that shot. Um, you know, it, the thing that makes it risky is is Nicholson can hit a little bit himself, and Alvy's definitely hittable. He doesn't seem to care too much when he gets hit. I think this basically stays on the feet the whole time with, with Alvy pressuring. And if he never lands that shot, he's in danger of, of losing a decision in my opinion. But I think he does land that shot. One overarching theme that we'll be talking about for every fight, Daniel is, is the altitude. Uh, it's no, you know, people are not surprised about Mexico city altitude. Sometimes they don't factor in places like Utah or whatever, but this place is the king of altitude and that's going to play out in, in tons of different ways. And Alex Nicholson doesn't exactly strike me as the type of guy who's ready for Mexico City altitude, who puts in the kind of hours that he needs to. Uh, he's a fucking jerk off, as you can tell <laughs> if you've read anything he's ever tweeted. So, you know, 
It'd be nice to watch him get knocked out. Alvy isn't great, but he should get the job done here. I'm glad you brought up the altitude, the elevation, because, you know, Alex Nicholson actually went out to Mexico two weeks in advance. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to win the fight, but at least he took, you know, the proper step to, you know, put the, the chips in his favor. Now it's a matter of can he be a little bit uh, tighter with his hands, you know? You know what I mean? But he's one of these guys that, you, like you said, he's wild. He'll throw spinning shit, but uh, it's a matter of can he... Can he take you out or not? If he can't, it's going to be him that gets taken out. Now, next up, bantamweight bout between Douglas Silva Deandraj. He's minus 160. The comeback on Henry Briones is plus 140. Douglas Silva Deandraj. He fought one time in 2015, back in February 2015. He fought one time in 2014. And uh, both of those fights, man, I mean... You know, he can go the full three-round distance, but he gasses super hard. You know where's a place that you don't want to gas super hard? Mexico. And Douglas Silva, you know, he's one of these guys that he came into the UFC with a, you know, 21-0 record. So you look at that record on paper, you're like, holy shit, you know, this guy's an absolute killer. Then you watch his fights and, you know, kind of like Alvy in the sense that he barely throws, but unlike Alvy in, in the sense that when he does throw... He actually does throw combinations. He's also very tough to take down. I mean, guys don't really take him down that much, but I do think his output is going to wane significantly, especially the fact that he's been out for way over a year and a half and he's making his return outside of Brazil in the Mexican elevation. This is his first time fighting out of Brazil, and it's in Mexico, no less. With Henry Briones, you know, he's your prototypical Mexican brawler. You know, he's as tough as they come. You know, he's fought a bunch of tough dudes. You know, he fought Bobby Green back in the day. He fought Cheeto Vera. You know, he went all three rounds with Cody Garbrandt. You know, the only man in UFC history to go all three rounds with Cody Garbrandt. Tomas Almeida couldn't even go past one round with Cody Garbrandt. Henry Briones went all three. I think that Henry Briones is going to outlast Douglas Silva Deandraj. You know, first round might be kind of rough, but after that, I think he's going to cruise to a nice 29-28. I took the one-unit shot at plus 140, and uh, let's get it. You know what? I, I agree with you. I think he's going to outlast them. I think this is going to get grindy and ugly. Um, you know, if they stay with some space between them and it gets technical, that's that's when Brionis is in danger because everything you said uh, about DeAndraj, I, I agree with, basically. He basically is what, what you said he is. Um, but when he when the burst does come, it's it's pretty athletic. It's not great, but it, you know it's it's dangerous, especially to a guy like Brionis's level. Um, you got to be careful not to judge Brionis on making it the distance with Garbrandt. Maybe that was a a, a worse than normal Garbrandt that night. Um, but in Mexico, the Mexican guy, I think this is going to be a competitive fight. I think Brionis can can win the third round. What he's got to do is is win the second round and, and stay on his feet the whole time. I think he'll do that. I think he pulls out a 29-28. Also in the bantamweight division, we got Joe Soto versus Marco Psycho Beltran. Now currently the line is Joe Soto at minus 140 with the comeback on Psycho Beltran at plus 100. Now... The MMA genius and I have a rule where we always fade Joe Soto. The only time we didn't do it was against Chris Beal. And, you know, uh, that turned out to be a really good idea. But in this spot, you know, it could be the classic letdown just in the sense that, you know, Psycho Beltran's been training for a fight this entire time, whereas Joe Soto took the fight on five days short notice in Mexico. You know, one doesn't simply do that. But, you know, it's a matter of is he in shape? Is he ready to go? Because Soto is a very crafty veteran, you know. If you mess around with this guy on the ground, you leave your arms exposed. I mean, he'll put you in a, 
in a Uma Plata out of nowhere. You know, he'll take your back and he'll choke you out. The guy is a vet in every sense of the word. But if you can put it on him and make him start to doubt himself, you can for sure get the finish here. Now, the thing that impresses me about Psycho Beltran is, look, he's not the most technical guy. It doesn't look that pretty when he fights, but he's effective and he knows how to get it done. And one thing in particular that I'm a big fan of as a betting man is the fact that Beltran's one of these guys that knows how to get that takedown in the last minute of the round. And look, man, you know how it is with these judges. If you get that takedown in the last minute of the round, judges tend to forget what happened the first four minutes. So, you know, let's say Soto pieces him up and then he ends up on his back last 30 seconds. Chances are the judges in Mexico are going to score it for Beltran. Also, if you watch Beltran versus Cheeto Vera, I know Beltran's gotten a lot better since then, but that fight was in Mexico. I actually scored it for Cheeto, and, uh, you know, the Mexican judges scored it for the Mexican guy. He's been having the full training camp. And I got to say, man, ever since he moved to Chicago, he's been training with Yair Rodriguez, with Izzy Martinez, with all those guys at that camp. He's really made big strides in his game. And it was really evident in his last fight against the ultimate fighter, Winner Vieira, when he choked him out after overcoming adversity in the first round. So with all that said, I'm going with Marco Psycho Beltran. I haven't decided on a bet yet. But, uh, you know, let's see if the line gets better. Let's see if, uh, you know, people know who Joe Soto is. They might not know who Beltran is. So if more money comes in, on the short notice, Joe Soto, I will take a one-unit shot on Marco Beltran, Sean. Do, do you know what the actual catch weight is? Yeah, man, it's at 140. Oh, okay, the catch weight is 140 pounds. Here's the, here's the thing. I, You know, Soto is, is just the way more skilled guy, and he's been beaten by guys that are less skilled. I can't – sometimes I've seen him fight, and he, he looks like he quits. Sometimes he, he looks like he tries to put it on you in the third round and he really wants to win the fight. He's really confusing. It's in there, though. The skill is, the skill is in there. The will is in there. He is getting towards the end. Um, but the tallest order here is, goddamn, a short-notice fight when you weren't getting ready at a catchweight in Mexico City. He's got to just hop off the couch, get ready, go to the high elevation, Oh, boy, that sounds awful. And even against the guy that he should be, and I think under normal circumstances he would beat easily, it's, that's tough, man. It, it's tough to go in for Soto. On the other hand, the price on Beltran is, is, is not enough for me to like him against Soto, who's, who's way better. As far as the fight goes, it's, it's, it's a tough call to even see which way that goes. I mean, Soto, I believe, is, is better on the feet. The, the punches are definitely sharper. The punches are definitely crisper. He puts together combination when, when he chooses to do that. Um, and Soto's wrestling and his jiu-jitsu are definitely better, too. He really has this skill-wise in, in all ways. It's just I, I can't side with him because of the short notice in Mexico City. It's just too much. It's too, too much of a... Uh, a mountain to climb and it, and it reeks of, I need money right now. Fuck it. Let's do it. And, and I don't like that situation. So, uh, if I had to pick somebody, I'd pick Beltran just because of that. But, uh, any, you know, in Vegas with a normal camp, Soto all day. And this one, Ooh, I'd stay away. Man, and this one, the way you broke it down, I might have to go with Beltran just in terms of betting, dude. Cause, uh, how do you make a? How do you go to Mexico with five days of preparation? You know what I mean. I don't. I honestly, I don't blame you. You know what I'm saying. And he's got Mexican judges in his corner. It probably is going to be competitive, 
But what if Soto's got his shit together and we don't know that? What if Soto just looks like Soto for the first one and a half rounds and he dominates and wins the first two? You know, what if he gets him down in substance? Like, a good Soto could get rid of him, you know? And it's not just... It's not just don't expect a good Soto because he's in Mexico City at short notice. Don't expect a good Soto because good Soto just fucking stays home sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> that could happen too. It, this fight's all over the place. So uh, at, at a basically pick em line, I don't know. There's no value. You know what I mean? Like I don't like. There's no edge here that I that I can see. Um, a good edge sometimes on this Mexico City was kind of kind of counterintuitive. Is is both guys going into it going, ooh, altitude, I'm scared, Mexico City, let's fucking keep a pace, let's keep a pace, let's not blow it out, you know, and they just go slow the whole time, and then overs come in because these guys don't want to don't want to commit things and, and, and blow it out. So there's that, too. But as far as the side, oof, I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, I think the edge is just the sense that if you're always looking to fade Joe Silva, I mean, <laughs> if you're always looking to fade Joe Soto and you get the chance to do so at plus money, plus you factor in, you know, the fact that, you know, what we already mentioned, the altitude, the five-day short notice, it is the perfect opportunity. But what I'm going to do in this spot, though, is, you know, wait till media day, wait till the weigh-in, see how they're looking, make sure everything's in Beltran's favor even more. And then I'll take that shot. But for now, I'm passing, but I'm keeping my eye very close on this fight. Now, also, in the bantamweight division, we got Eric Goito Perez. He's minus 185. And the comeback on Felipe Sertanejo Arantes is plus 160. I've been waiting a long time to talk about this one, Sean. You know, I have a feeling we're going to disagree on this fight. And I'm very excited to have a spirited debate on this one because it's going to be a good contest. You know, with Felipe Arantes, this is a guy that made his UFC debut, you know, 21, 22 years old. Goes all three rounds with Yuri Alcantara in Brazil. Every single time Arantes has fought in the octagon, win or lose, it's been a spirited battle. You know, the only guys that he's lost to are big 145ers such as Andre Feely Kevin Souza, and then obviously in his debut, he lost to Yuri, which there's no shame in doing so. But the thing I like about Sertanejo, man, firstly, his Muay Thai, you know, he trains uh, with Diego Lima Shoebox. If you don't know who that is, that's the guy responsible for Tomas Almeida. Sertanejo is Tomas Almeida's main sparring partner, and you can see that in his fights, man. I mean, the flying knees, he's accurate with his punches. The biggest issue is just like a guy like Yuri Alcantara, Felipe Aranches will end up on his back from time to time. But I mean, if his last two fights are any indication, he can tap guys out off his back. And dating to back in the day, he actually submitted John Lineker with an armbar, the exact same finishing move that he won his last two fights by. I think that he's figured it out, man. I think that he knows what he's got to do to win these fights now. He knows that people don't want to stand with him. He knows that people want to grind him out on the ground. And, dude, I think he's getting better. You know, in his last fight with Gerard Sanders, people act like he got taken down at will over and over. But what really happened was in the first round, he full mounts Gerard Sanders. He takes his back. Then he tries to go for an arm bar. Then he ended up on bottom. He really only let up one takedown in that fight. And with Goito, you know, I do understand that you could call it a career resurgence. You know, the fight with uh, Taylor Lapalus. Taylor had to take his first UFC loss there. Everyone has to take that first UFC loss. It was just a matter of... Goito being the vet in that in that spot and then the fight with Cisco of course I bet on Eric Perez in that fight I always bet against Cisco I mean 
If you're smart, you bet against Cisco. You know, that's just how it goes. But in this spot, man, you know, this isn't Cisco Rivera anymore, you know? This isn't a guy who's going to throw bombs for 30 seconds and then flop to his back for the for four minutes of the round. That's not what's going to happen here. It's going to be a real fight. The biggest issue here is Felipe Aranches. You know, he's being all cocky saying, you know, I, I didn't train uh, in altitude. You know, I don't need to. He came out, you know, just for fight week. That That's all that elevation altitude training he's gotten so that's a red flag but at the same time he has gone the distance over 10 times in his career so he knows what it's like to be in deep waters with goito he's from mexico you know he's fought in mexico he's won in mexico but uh let's not act like this guy is you know some uh some uh you know crisp striker or anything like that because he's not you know that fight with uh cisco he was getting tagged hard but he used uh he was smarter than cisco I don't know if he's going to be smarter than Arantes. I do think he's going to try oh, to. Oh yeah. I, I think he's going to try to take Arantes down, and I think he might get him down in the first round. But I think Arantes is going to get back up. He's going to whoop on uh, Eric Perez, and I took the underdog play. It was plus one eighty. It's plus one sixty now. It's still fine with me, man. If Arantes is a dog, I mean, he's he's got a chance in any fight he's in. So I'm taking that shot, bro. I mean, he's got a chance. You know what I mean? He he's got explosive moves on the feet. Um, you know. Here's the problem, though, and you kind of touched on it a couple times. Not the smartest dude in the world. Kind of the bottom of the barrel the fight IQ. He perfectly happy to stay on his back and try shit, even if it doesn't work. Um, and, you know, another thing that you hit on him, not getting ready for altitude, not thinking that's a big deal. Famous last words, dude. Famous last words. We've seen that how that works out for people. They're totally surprised. And if they're not totally... Every time there's a card in Mexico City, you sit back and watch strange results because people are not ready for this or they're, they're too weary of it or something. But it obviously makes a difference. It sucks the life out of cards sometimes. Um, Eric Perez, not great, limited, tough as hell. But what he does that Arantes doesn't like is he gives you no space. He's just a kind of a shambling like swarmy smotherer just getting ready to do some big jumping thing to him. Nope. He's on you. It shortens down. It's smothered. It, you're striking with him. He misses. He swings. Then his, his hand misses your head, but ends up on your shoulder. Then he's pulling you around in the clinch. Then he's doing a half a takedown that fails. And that's repeating over and over again. And what it is, is he's just going to make it ugly on you. He's going to push you around He's going to shorten the distance and smother all your big strikes. And he's just going to push you and push you and push you. And if you're not ready for that, or you're more than willing to accept a position to take a little break, which Arantes is great at, he's just going to win rounds that way. This is going to be a competitive fight. I think Arantes is pretty good. I don't think he uses his brain in there. But competitive fight in Mexico. Perez is a pretty decent-sized star in Mexico. I feel like close rounds go to him, and I feel like he pulls off the decision. Uh, Arantes in the third round in Mexico City, mm, I don't know. I think he's going to be on his back trying low, uh, low percentage submissions over and over again until the fight takes away 30-27 or 29-28, something like that. Uh, you know, Perez just makes it too ugly, pushes him around. That, that's it, Perez decision. I mean, obviously, I see that scenario because if Eric's going to win the fight, 
that's how it's going to be done. But I think there's a big athleticism difference in this fight. In a, in a way, it reminds me of Yuri Alcantara versus Brad Pickett with uh, Goyito being the younger version of Brad Pickett. So, you know, it's a matter of is there going to be a huge speed difference here? Because, I mean, you saw that fight with Cisco Rivera, man. It's it's just because Cisco, you know, is kind of a dummy that he lost that fight. But he was tagging up no, Eric real yeah. hard there, dude. You're right, Perez. But the thing is, Perez is that, you know what I'm saying, he's tough as fuck. And if Cisco's not getting you out of there, is Arantes getting you out of there? You saw what he just took. And in that, in that situation, in that situation where you're getting tagged by a big puncher with the fight on the line, he reacts how you want him to react. He goes for takedowns. He stops the action. He wins the round. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's how I want you to react, coldly. Shut it down. Stop it. No, no, please the crowd bloodbath fight. You know what I'm saying? If that's not going your way, change it up. And that's what he did. And that's what he'll do again. Um, the biggest gap, you're right, speed is the thing, but the biggest gap, I believe, is Arantes' willingness to be on his back and, and not realize that he's got to urgently do something to win the round. Instead, lays there and loses the round. Yeah, and unlike Cisco, though, you know, you mentioned how, well, Cisco couldn't put him down. I think Arantes has a lot more weapons at his disposal on the feet. You know, it's not just swinging big bombs and closing your eyes and praying that one lands. You know, his, his punches are accurate, the flying knees, he's got big kicks. It's just a matter of, you know, is he going to take a break in this fight? He very well could. Not addressing the elevation is a big deal. But, man, there's also that chance that Arantes could come out there and steamroll him like like Alcantara did to Pickett. So, you know, one of us is going to be right here, man, and I, I'm, I'm fucking hoping it's me, bro. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's right. It, lots of things can happen, and the altitude can make it even fucking weirder. So we will see in a couple of days. Definitely. Now... The fight we alluded to earlier, Alexa Grasso's minus 470, and Heather Joe Clark is plus 375. Now, you know, it's funny, I was talking to the MMA genius about it. He's like, yeah, I mean, she's only that big of a favorite because she's hot. <laughs> but the thing here in this spot, man, is, you know, she is better than, than Heather Joe Clark. But Wait a minute. Is she? Hold on a second. Let me confirm this. <laughs> Which girl are we talking about? Alexa Grasso. Alexa Grasso? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, really? the thing I like about Alexa in the fights that I've watched is that she does have that Mexican spirit and that Mexican heart. She comes to fight. She's tough as fuck. I've seen her lose the first round and then come back and win decisions. With Heather Joe Clark, I do think she is a bit underrated, but she also gets very discouraged when things don't go her way. You saw that fight with Carolina. The first round, Heather Joe Clark, just like Rose Namajunas, was getting off on the strikes in that first round, but Carolina, who's tough as fuck, she kind of reminds me of a chick version of Frankie Yeager was able to just will her way to victory in that fight. And I think Alexa Grasso can do something similar here. And especially with the fact that she does have experience fighting in Mexico. And I mean, I don't have to go on too long. She's a minus 470 favorite for a reason. So yeah, Alexa Grasso most likely by decision. I mean, inside the distance one wouldn't surprise me just in the sense that Heather Joe Clark is one of these chicks that, you know, has gotten injured in fights and stuff like that. You know, she's a little bit uh, towards the end of her career. So, yeah, Alexa Grasso for the victory, Sean. Mm, I'd like to take a chance to thank my, my fans, of course, and, and all the fans who would be following me over from the uh, MMA ISIS podcast. Uh, congratulations on following me in the right place. I know that that's the only reason why you listened to that one. It, it was getting really terrible, as my co-host would say. 
<laughs> but Daniel, it's it's great to not be surrounded by inferior minds like I was before. Now now we can have some fun and talk some fight. So once upon a time, I brought the crickets to the MMA ISIS podcast. Now I have to leave them with a different kind of crickets, which will be their listeners, Daniel. Crickets. <laughs> is that I'm just kidding. Is that also what's, what's going to happen when Alexa Grasso and Heather Joe Clark fight? That's a bathroom break, yes. I will be outside smoking, reading Twitter until somebody says the girl's fight is done. Then I will go back inside and watch men fight. Hashtag free MMA genius. Now, next up, man, we got Rashid Magomedov. He's minus 145. The comeback on Benil Dariush is plus 125. I love this fight, man. I mean, Rashid Rashid Magomedov, you know, if you're an aficionado for the striking, you love a guy like Rashid Magomedov. I mean, how can you not? So calm, so calculated. He makes guys fight at his pace, at his speed. He slows the fights down, and then dudes, uh, they have no idea where the punches are coming from. They have no idea where the kicks are coming from. You start blocking high, you eat the liver kick. You start blocking low, you eat a head kick. You know, straight one-two. I mean, the guy, and he's always countering you, too. He wants you to come forward. He won't take any unnecessary risks. He waits for you to come forward, and then once you start getting frustrated, that's when he... uh, picks you apart you know Gilbert Dorino is such a tough guy to be able to take that ass whooping he took not a lot of guys can take that ass whooping on the flip side you recall uh, when Tony Martin almost submitted Rashid Magomedov and you recall when uh, Gilbert Burns took down Rashid Magomedov both in the first round you recall that Sean I, I do yes now and, you know Tony Tony Martin's uh you know ugh, but uh first round pretty damn good yeah, both those guys did something similar in the first round. They both took him down, and Tony Martin did better. He got a dominant position. He had, I believe it was a straight arm lock, and he almost got it. If Benil Daryush gets on top of you and, and almost gets a submission, he's not going to almost get the submission. He's going to get the submission. This is a guy, not only did he uh, he beat Cron Gracie. I know there's a controversial decision there, but this guy beat Cron Gracie when he was like 18 or 19, and, okay, but you can't hit someone in the face in pure jiu-jitsu. Okay, so let's take a guy like Carlos Diego Ferreira, who's one of the best jiu-jitsu black belts in the UFC, who's also damn good. I mean, he just beat OAM. And let's put him in there with Benny. Benny outgrapples Carlos Diego Ferreira, has zero problems on the mat with him. I think that if Benny gets Rashid down to the ground, he can tap him out. Now let's talk about the stand-up. Obviously, I already mentioned how calm, calculated, precise, and just a... Uh, a total killer Rashid is, but what about Benny? Very good southpaw. I mean, his left kick to the body. I mean, he just loves throwing that thing because with a southpaw, when you're fighting an orthodox, southpaws will just throw that left body kick because it's on the side of the liver. So, you know, you can block the first one and then you don't block the second one. You're going to be feeling that shit, dude. And uh, he lets that kick rip. His stand-up has gotten so much better under the tutelage of Master Rafael Cordero. You know, you watch his fight with Ramsey Nijem where he lost. And the specific spot where he lost was in the clinch. You know, he threw a flying knee, and then uh, Ramsey was able to, you know, put him in a single-collar tie and pound away with, uh, you know, with the hands. Ever since that fight, he addressed that problem. He's better than ever in his clinch. I mean, you saw his fight with Michael Johnson. The, the times when he had success in that fight, you know, knees from the clinch, the jabs. And, you know, in going into that fight, you know, I know a lot of people think Michael Johnson won that fight, but everyone was expecting Michael Johnson to floor Benny. Benny got all his takedowns stuffed in that fight. 
He stayed composed. He landed the jab, and he clearly won the third round against Michael Johnson, who's you know supposed to be the faster, more athletic guy. That kind of experience is going to go a long way in a fight against Rashid Magomedov because this is a step up for Rashid. As amazing as Rashid is, you know he's 19 and one. I mean, let's look at the guys he's fought. And I, I fucking hate doing the whole, look who he's fought shit. But I mean, really, look who he's fought. Tony Martin, Gilbert Burns, Rodrigo Dam, and Elias Silverio. No disrespect to those guys. Yakovlev. Yakovlev as well. But Benny's fought a way higher level of competition. He's also beaten a higher level of competition. Everyone has to take that first UFC loss. And this is going to be Rashid's first L, man. And also, he had, once he steps inside the octagon... This Saturday in Mexico, it'll be two days short of a full year since the last time we saw Rashid uh, compete. And with Benny, he's coming off a, a first-round knockout of good friend of the show, James Vick, in a fight which he was very impressive. So the momentum's in Benny's corner, and I think he has what it takes to hand Rashid Magomedov his first UFC loss. I took the shot at plus 160. It's currently plus 125. I don't blame you for taking the shot there either. And, uh, yeah, also, Benny's addressed the altitude. He's done most of his camp in uh, Mammoth, uh, what's it called, Mammoth Creek, Mammoth Mountain. I don't know what the hell it's called, but bottom line, serious fucking shit. He's been putting in the work. He went to Mexico two weeks in advance after doing the whole camp in elevation. And uh, Rashid has been doing his whole camp in Florida. I got Benny for the victory here in the upset, my man. Well, once upon a time, old Sean here only watched boxing. I watched boxing since I was like eight. Um, when I first crossed over in MMA, it took a very, very long time for me to be like, every time I'm like, why do they punch bad? Like, why, why is their boxing so terrible? Why do they not understand what they're doing? And I kind of understand now why, because there's so many other things to worry about. You can't stand like a boxer. I get it now. I didn't get it then. But... Since that point, there has been some guys who are showing legitimate boxing in the UFC, all the way legitimate, and they've, they've morphed it into a full MMA game. Their feet are in the right place. They can stand in a boxing stance and stop a takedown. Um, and Lil Medoff, as I call him, is one of those guys. He is thinking out there. He is, he is setting things up many steps in advance, and he's kind of that Russian robot kind of guy. It's, it's to a detriment sometimes. He can wait too long uh, to set things up and not be active enough when he could just seize control of a round. But if you want to see this guy thinking, watch the Gilbert Burns fight. Watch him, and it's clear as day. You can't miss it. Watch him identify that he can counter the, the leg kick with a straight right hand. Watch him see it, watch him land it, and then watch him land it every fucking time. Every time the leg kick comes, he goes, oh, the leg kick again, bang, hits him. Oh, you're going to leg kick, bang, hits him. Perfect. Every time. He is out there noticing things, thinking about things. He's jabbing to the stomach and throwing over the top. He's throwing kicks in all different places. He is miles ahead of Benil Dariush in stand-up games. Benil Dariush in stand-up game, not terrible, but it's not thinking. It's, it's kind of that Cordero thing. It's, it's <clears throat> big shot, uh, big kick, uh, big single punch over and over again. That's not really setting anything up. I, I commend you for being aggressive and, and trying to hurt somebody and trying to take somebody out. Good job, but you're not thinking out there. It's not going to take long 
for Lil Medoff to start recognizing things, to start sciencing this out, to start understanding what Benil Darius does before one of those big strikes is coming, and then avoiding it, and then having his feet in the perfect place to launch something back. Benil Darius, sort of a chinny dude. On top of being a chinny dude, the Kiesa fight, let's be honest, he, he really really visibly wilted, right, Daniel? Like, he really kind of just cashed in the chips on that one, didn't he? He, he? he could have avoided the choke. He did avoid the choke. Then the second time around, he was like, ah, fucking, all right, choke me. You know what <laughs> I mean? What, what, what is he doing out there? Plus, he got knocked out by Ramsey Nijum. That's that's a tough call, too. Um, he's good. The skill is there. The jiu-jitsu is obviously there. And if he gets top control on Lil Medoff, that's that's a fucking definite problem. If he can get takedowns on Little Medoff, that's a definite problem. But I don't think he can. Or if I, if he can, I think it's for one round or so. Uh, if any of that wilt from the Kiesa fight shows up, he's in deep, deep shit. That third round is going to be brutal on him. Because Little Medoff is going to be thinking and planning and picking his spots and very accurately landing punches. This guy, you know, he's he's slow. He's not exactly finishing people. Slow is in pace, not slow is in speed. He's not exactly finishing people, but he hasn't lost in six years. He's not a joke. He's not fucking around. He's out there understanding and doing what he should do. He keeps his standing. He stuffs takedowns. Maybe he gives up the first round. In the second round, he's got it figured out. He starts landing shots. In the third round, Darius is wilted. He's exhausted, and he starts catching an ass whooping. That's at least a 29-28, if not a third-round finish. I, I love uh, Lil Medoff here. In Dariush's defense, you know, he mentioned that what he was lacking in the Kiesa fight was exactly what you said. He was lacking spirit. And if you watch that fight from the Bruce Buffer introduction, I mean, Benny's smiling. He thinks it's a joke, which a lot of people tend to think it's a joke when they're fighting Kiesa for some reason. I don't know why. But bottom line, watch him in that fight and then watch him in the Bruce Buffer introduction in the Vic fight. Completely different guy. Way more I, focused. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think he goes back to that, oh, I can knock people out now. Let's try this. And that's the wrong thing to do against the Russian robot. You don't want to just come and give him openings over and over. And he, he wants you to be aggressive. You know what I'm saying? Darius... Like, go ahead, Darius, come forward and be aggressive because that's what Magomedov wants. That's the plan. If you want to fuck with Magomedov, make him lead. I don't see Darius making him lead here. And, and, and as far as the way he looked in that Kiesa fight, great. You know what I mean? Like, he looked like that once. He's got a bunch of reasons why he looked like that. We sure as shit don't know the real reason. We sure as shit ain't going to know the real reason next time that guy shows up, which could be this time. I'll take the guy who's the robot from Russia who's got an expression of a dead person at all times. I'll take him because he's never not shown up. True that. I'm going to have to go back to the you always have to take that first loss. This is going to be the time. And at plus money, I'm willing to take my chances on the more experienced guy. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. May the best man Sometimes, win. Sometimes you got to take your third loss. You know what I mean? <laughs> well yeah you know it's funny uh, he's so he's lost uh by knockout by submission all that's missing is the decision loss for the hat trick you know oh perfect but that's not gonna happen this time sean it, it might not you know what i mean it might not it's tough the altitude makes it crazy it really does Who Ho knows? hopefully it's like the michael johnson fight where 
we all think Rashid wins, but Benny wins anyways, you know? Boo. <laughs> so, dude, next up we got Charles Dubronx Oliveira. He's minus 120. Ricardo the Bully Lamas is plus 100. I can see this fight going down so many different ways. You know, I can see the youthfulness of Oliveira paying dividends. He could catch Lamas with a beautiful sub. But I could also see Lamas being the more veteran savvy guy, even though Dubronx is a vet in his own right. Don't get me wrong here, but Lamas has a way of, you know, winning these decisions. He's kind of like Benson Henderson in the in the fact that, you know, when he starts kicking guys, he kicks them in the calf. And word on the street is after that Aldo fight, you know, Aldo won 4-1. to one. Aldo's in the hotel lobby on crutches. I mean, Ricardo Lamas is no slouch at all. You remember that Bermudez fight? Drops him with a jab, chokes him out. But then there's other times when Lamas gets knocked the fuck out. But one thing with Lamas, he's got heart. You know, that Max Holloway fight, he was given plenty of opportunities to quit. Not just in the stand-up, on the ground as well. He was in a, in a bulldog choke, I believe it was. He could have tapped out, but he didn't. One fundamental difference between the two of them is I think Lamas is a lot tougher than Charles Oliveira. But I also think Lamas is a lot chinnier than Charles Oliveira. I know Charles Oliveira you know, has been stopped before, but I don't think it's a chin issue. I think it's a heart issue. You know, if you recall the Cub Swanson fight, when he got hit with that big right hand, five seconds later, he drops, you know, the the famous quote from Cub Swanson is, I don't think I knocked him out. I think he quit. And, you know, Max Holloway, same thing, you know, uh, says he had a, what what did he say he had? A torn esophagus, then two days later on on UFC Tonight, they said he was perfectly fine. This guy has looked for the door more than once, but he's also looked spectacular more than once. Uh So it goes back to the whole, you know, which guy's going to show up, but I I hate talking like that. It discredits the opponent. So I, I really don't know. I guess I'll go with Lamas, you know, by being more experienced. But here's the thing, Sean. Is Lamas going to show up looking old? Because you know how it goes. Dana White always said, fighters get old overnight. And I truly believe that, man. And, you know, you recall the fight with Max Holloway. That was three rounds of getting your ass whooped. So is he going to come back looking the same? At the same token, he has put in a full training camp. And with Dubronx, someone who's prone to quitting in the past, being at that Mexican elevation will give him a, a lot of incentive to quit if things don't go his way early, Sean. Yeah, you know, this is a really fucking tough one. This is another tough one. And, uh, again, uh, the altitude tinges it. But there's nothing more confusing in this sport for me than a guy who I perceive to be a quitter being in a situation where I had seen him previously quit and where I expected him to quit this time and then push through and look better. And that's what happened against Pettis. I was super impressive. Pettis was fucking lucky to get to, to get that sub to win that fucking fight. Um, man, he was, he, what was it, a body kick? He got body kicked, and I was like, oh, that's it. And I think many people were like, mm, that's it, no more. He's going to quit now, and he didn't quit. And what he did on top of not quitting was he got up, he stalked forward, and he landed punches on Pettis over and over again, coming forward, coming forward, coming forward, like real purposeful, like punch his way into the clinch, grab you and choke you type things. And, and, you know, a, a less skilled guy, he would have he would have got him that night. E- even that fight's a little confusing because that, like, did Pettis look like shit at forty five? You think he did, dude? I don't know. Because huh? here's my question, Sean. You remember how Dubronx took Pettis back a bunch of times, and then Pettis was able to get out of that. You know, that reminded me of back- yeah, the same way every time. Yeah, that was like kind of back in the WEC. I don't know if you recall a fight between Shane Roller and Anthony Pettis. 
It was that kind of same thing. Even Benson Henderson, Anthony Pettis. You know, uh, third round, Benson Henderson had a locked-in rear naked choke, and Pettis was able to reverse the position. So my question here, Sean, if Charles Dubronx takes the back of Ricardo Lamas, is Ricardo going to be able to defend it and get back on top, or is he one of the guys that will get choked out in that spot? I don't know. It's another tough. It's another tough thing to say because for every fucking sneaky Dubronx standing snake a guillotine in type maneuver and, and hang off of you and choke you to death kind of thing, he's got to stay on top of Jeremy Stevens as much as he wants and do nothing. You know, what I mean, like it's really tough to tell what he's going to do. It's really even tougher to tell what he's going to do uh, on short notice, and then you throw the altitude on top of that. Is he ready? Is is he the kind of guy who gasses and goes, well, well, fuck this, go ahead and choke me? You know, what I mean, like it's it's really tough to say. And and Lamas, while consistent, we've probably seen this guy's ceiling, right? That's as that's as high as he goes. We've seen the kind of guys he can beat. He can beat, and we've we've seen him lose to the kind of same level guy over and over again. Uh, he's meant to be good. He's not meant to be at the top top. And you can only float on those middle rungs for so long before you just start slipping down them over and over again. And what you said about him getting old, yeah, totally possible, because that was a brutal fight. He really did. When it was time for Holloway to push him against the cage and land a six-punch combination, he didn't really have too much fucking shit to say about it. You know what I mean? He didn't go anywhere. He didn't give up on himself, but he didn't really put up too much of a fight back in those situations either. Uh, Got to commend him for the last 10 seconds, though. Of course, that that's awesome. That's a top 10 moment in, in MMA, in, in my opinion. Here, I think that Lamas probably pulls this fight off due to just short notice and, and due to the fact that he can probably survive. If Oliveira catches a crazy Oliveira-type sub, Nobody's going to be surprised on that. As far as betting on this fight, I think this one is so close and so confusing that if you can find Oliveira by sub at plus one seventy-five ish or something like that, that probably sounds pretty good. If you want to take a shot at this fight, but my advice would be to not fuck with this fight at all. Under one and a half is plus one seventy. If it was under two and a half, I might take a look. But under one and a half. I don't fucking know, man. I got a pass. You know what I mean? I I don't blame you. This is a pass. And you know what's a pass for me, but apparently not for you? We got Marcin Held. He's minus 265. The comeback on Diego Sanchez is plus 225. Now, look. You know, I always fade Diego Sanchez. You already know the deal. I always got my fade list. Diego Sanchez is on it, of course. I mean, you know, he's at the tail end. This dude's running on fumes. You know, he used to be the guy... You know, you can never knock out Diego Sanchez. Then he got knocked out finally in his last fight. You know how it goes, man. Once you start getting knocked out at this point in their careers, you know, they they keep on getting knocked out. And I know Marcin Held's not known for knocking guys out, but, I mean, either is Joe Lozon. Wasn't that, like, Lozon's first knockout since the Jens Pulver one? I might be wrong, but but wasn't that his first knockout since Jens Pulver? It, it, it had been a minute. I think there was one after Jens Pulver, but... Um, I think that might have been like a hurt somebody and sub him. Yeah, exactly, man. So, you know, with Marcin Held, he's one of the leg lock guys. We already know the deal with the leg lock guys. It's leg lock or bust. But you know what? 
Even though Marcin Held has quit in the past when he hasn't gotten the leg lock, I've also seen him go the full three-round distance and win decisions like he did against Dave Jansen. And I tried to fade Ugh. him. I tried to fade him in that spot. It didn't work, my man. I've also seen him knock guys out. He knocked out Ryan Healy. I, I know it's Ryan Healy, but, dude, Diego Sanchez, it's not like he's, you know, it's not uh, the prime nightmare that used to ground and pound dudes. And, you know, dude, Diego Sanchez back in his prime was one of the scariest dudes in that weight class. But now it's kind of, you know, it's it's Gray Maynard territory. So by default, I got Marcin Hill here. You know, I see the scenario that people are talking about for Diego where, you know, Marcin doesn't get the leg lock because Diego's not known for, get, for getting leg locked. And then Marcin gasses because of the Mexican elevation, and Diego wins that bullshit decision, which he's known for. But I think Diego is so far gone that even a guy like Marcin Held could knock him out. And I'll go as far as saying, I wouldn't be surprised if Marcin actually tapped out Diego. I know Diego's never been tapped out, but there's a first for everything. He's getting old. You know, his, uh, his bones, uh, you know... Would you be surprised if his bones just snap, man? You know what I mean? When you get older, like, you can't take those things like you used to. So I just would not be surprised if his body completely fell apart here. I got Marcin held for the victory. You know, if Diego's bones went to go and snap, Daniel, they'd be held together by sheer crazy. The power (laughs) of crazy would hold his bones together. It's a fact. Um, You know... For people who haven't heard me on podcasts before, there's sometimes there's angles, kind of historical angles that I put above the logic of who should win a fight based on their previous fights. It's just a, a situation or or four situations at once that I've seen go a certain way over years and years and years. I just tend to put that above technically breaking down the fights. And this is a situation where that's happening. Um, Marcin Held, confusing guy for me. I, every time that he's going to fight on Bellator, oh, Marcin Held is going to fight. Oh, this kid, you know, he could have a blah, 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 blah. <laughs> when I watch him, I'm, I'm never any, anything besides not impressed. You know what I mean? Like the Jansen fight could have easily lost that fight, but Jansen just kept on doing dumb things that where he'd end up on his back over and over again. Marcin Held, I've seen him gas out in situations where people shouldn't gas out. I wasn't going to jump to quit because you didn't get a leg lock, but, man, he seems to have plan A leg lock, plan B leg lock, plan C leg lock, plan D is, uh, fuck, what do I do? You know what I mean? Like, I, I... I don't see anything great about Marcin Held. Um, on top of that, I think a lot of these Bellator guys and name guys in Bellator, there's probably two or three guys that I'd say come over to the UFC and win a lot. Uh, Will Brooks wasn't one of them. We saw how that worked <laughs> out. I don't think that Marcin Held is going to hold up in the, in the UFC. I don't think he's very good at all. Uh, guys on a debut, not so good. A lot expected from him. People think he's going to win this fight. It's a lot of pressure for him. The elevation, he's already got shitty cardio. How is he going to deal with this elevation if Diego doesn't go away? Uh, Not well, in my opinion. Uh, The striking is, is definitely not good. It's real sloppy. His wrestling is not great. Uh, his wrestling is sometimes good enough to deal with Bellator people, but is it enough to deal with even a lower level now UFC guy? I don't, I don't think so, but we're going to find out. Diego, on the other hand, everything he said is true. It, was that it? Was him getting stopped that it? was? That's the end? It 
could totally fucking be. He could get steamrolled in this spot. But, you know, he got stopped on his feet there. You know what I mean? Like, he was getting fucking pounded. There's some still some Diego in there. I think he's got this cut to 145 kind of figured out. I think he's going to be psyched to be in Mexico. And when it comes down to it, as far as me, even though he's not Mexican, but he's Mexican-American, they love him there. Uh, he has a way, a knack of his whole entire career of winning shitty decisions that he might not have, should have won just because he was the more active guy, just because he was maybe motioning, come hit me or something or impressing the crowd just looking like he's winning the fight. This is just another situation that's perfect for him to look like he's going to win the fight just because Marcin doesn't put together much offense at all. Um, I think he keeps his standing. I think he gasses Marcin held out. I think he wins the second and, and wins the third round pretty definitively. I think he pulls off a decision. Sean, can you and I agree on the fact that even though Marcin Held is one of those leg lock guys, He's not on that Ian Entwistle quit level, right? No, not even, not even close. Not even close. But, you know, he, he immediately wants it. He, he makes no, you know, he's not going to try to surprise you and all of a sudden be like, ah, leg lock. He's just like, hey, I'm coming to get the leg lock. Let's go. Can I get this leg lock? And he just chases you around and tries to do that. And when that's not working, there's not much else there. You know, but no, not not Ian Whistle just shit his pants when he can't get it type situation. The moment we've all been waiting for, the main event of the evening. We got Rafael Dos Anjos, the former lightweight champ. He's minus 150. The comeback on Tony El Cucuy Ferguson is plus 130. Now, little disclaimer, this fight opened at minus 120 apiece. Now it's minus 150 RDA, plus 130 Tony Ferguson. So the public seems to think that RDA is going to get it done. And he very well could. If he is to get it done, the way I think he'll do it is, well, we all know Tony Ferguson loves to move forward. You know, he throws big straight punches. He'll throw those inside leg kicks. He'll roll for knee bars. The way I think RDA can catch him is while Tony's charging forward, Rafael can counter with the big right hook, kind of like he did to Cowboy both times they fought. Not just the first time when he dropped him. The second time they fought, he caught him with that hook as well and then proceeded to land a nice knee, a nice body kick, and he finished the fight. When Rafael Dos Anjos fought Eddie Alvarez, before he got rocked, I, you know, I was looking at the MMA genius and I was like, dude, you know, where's the forward pressure? Where are the body kicks? Like, what the hell is going on? That did not look like Rafael at all. This is before he got rocked. Uh, you know, because Rafael is known for cutting off that ring, throwing that big body kick from the southpaw stance, you know, goes to the liver, and, uh, you know, he swarms dudes with pressure. That's, that guy didn't show up against uh, Eddie Alvarez last time. Then he got rocked hard with the anaconda punch, you know, right on the chin. Now, you know, some people are going to be like, oh, you're going to pick against RDA because, you know, this is the first time we ever seen him get wobbled. Actually, it's not the first time we've ever seen him get wobbled. Go back and watch his fight with Glayson Tebow. He did a serious chicken dance in that fight, man. And, you know, people were always saying, oh, now that he's got a titanium jaw, he can't be knocked out. Well, actually, the Glayson Tebow fight was after the titanium jaw. So he did the chicken dance there. And I've been waiting for it to happen for a very long time. You know, I thought it was going to happen against Pettis. Once he beat Pettis, you know, I bet on RDA to beat Cowboy. But in this spot, 
I, I'm betting against uh, RDA. I think Tony Ferguson has the intangibles here, you know, that ridiculous will to win. I mean, he uh, he wills himself to victories. You know that fight with Edson Barbosa? I mean, we can all agree that Edson Barbosa, it, you know, if you don't think he's the best striker in the lightweight division, we can all agree he's top five best strikers in the lightweight division. And Tony Ferguson walked through everything Edson Barbosa brought to the table. He overwhelmed him with the pressure. He cut him up. He bloodied him up. He even got a little dirty at times, you know, because look, man, if you're only going to get a warning, you're only going to get one point deducted. Okay, I'll throw that illegal kick and rock my opponent and then, you know, later on finish them. So it doesn't even matter. And I don't think this is the kind of spot where the fight's going to go all five rounds. So, you know, if Tony needs to do some dirty shit to get the victory, uh, you know, uh, he'll do that. And look, you know, people listening are going to be like, oh, that's so unsportsmanlike. Yeah, but we're betting on the sport to make money, right? So who fucking cares? Look, man, I bet on Yoel Romero every, every single fight. Uh, if he cheats, whatever. It's all about winning. So Tony Ferguson, I know for a fact, he is the kind of guy that'll do whatever it takes to win the fight, even if that means cheating to win. So I know Tony Ferguson is going to put it all on the line. Also, he spent the entire camp in Big Bear, which isn't the same elevation as Mexico, but, you know, it's still it's better than nothing. Then he went to Mexico about three weeks in advance. So he's been putting in the work, man, with Rafael. Dude, he left he left uh, Master, uh, Master Cordero, the guy that took him to the title. I do not understand that decision at all. Uh, you know, I don't know what went down between them. I don't think many people do know. But I do know that Rafael, he's also been putting work in an elevation, you know, with Benny. But not with Master Hoffa. So I don't know what the deal is there. I think that Tony can rock him, man. You know, Eddie show that you can rock him. T-Bow show that you can rock him. And he, Tony gets a lot of shit for, uh, you know, his defense. But, man, his offense is, uh, you know, he's very accurate with those straight punches. I do think he can find the chin of Rafael Dos Anjos. And also, you know, that Landon Venata fight, I think it's, I think people think it's a lot worse than it really was, you know? Okay, so that first knockdown with the head kick, yeah, he did get knocked down. But as he was going to get back up, he slips on the Metro PCS sign. And then the, the announcer's like, Ferguson's out on his feet, you know? So it looked 10 times worse than it was. There was one knockdown. It looks like two knockdowns, but it's really one. Then he slips on his way back up. So he actually didn't really look that bad in that fight. He kind of he kind of rolls with uh, most of the punches that come at him anyways. And uh, he's able to break dudes, and he absolutely broke Lando Venata. You know, Lando got a big following after that fight because he performed admirably in the first two minutes. But, you know, Tony whooped his ass. Make no mistake about it, that was not a close fight. The under one and a half cashed in that spot. I think Tony Ferguson's going to get it done here, man. I obviously worried about him getting countered when he charges in. But I don't think he's going to get put away. I think he's going to be able to use his relentless pressure, which he is known for, and snap down City, get that Darce choke. I'm taking the one-unit shot on Tony Ferguson, and I hear that uh, we have our first ever best fight pick. I'm going to let you do your breakdown first, then we're going to tell the audience what our best fight pick is for this fight, dude. Okay, let's do that. Um, you know, you have to look at these guys' last two fights. Uh, and it tells you a big story and and you're right you know that fight against Manata wasn't as crazy as people I mean it was awesome but it wasn't Tony almost getting knocked out multiple times you're right but in reality what it was was Tony a guy who doesn't get rocked getting rocked hard by a short notice 145 pounder and then getting repeatedly abused and 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 every time they exchanged, he's landing his own shots, but man, he was getting landed on clean. 
he was getting landed on with some fancy shit. Um, you know, his defense, as far as moving his head and blocking and parrying his head, is not good. His defense, as far as moving his feet and getting the fuck out of the way, is not good. He's kind of this big, static, plotting target. But you can't hurt him, and you can't back him off of you, and he'll want to land one for letting you land two. But when you're at altitude and you're catching huge fucking body kicks and tons of leg kicks, that attrition is what sets up your fall, right? You know what I mean? It's not like RDA blows him out with one shot. But I don't know who the fuck is going to back up here. Who backs up? It's a, it, an RDA. What is he? He's a he's a kind of push against you kind of guy and make that cage smaller and smaller until he's got you and he can launch on you. Or he gets you in that same spot, throws one, and then goes for a takedown and grinds on you. He's dangerous punching. The body kicks and the leg kicks are super dangerous. He's even dangerous on the ground with ground and pound and a decent submission game. Tony's submission game, more off his back, more trickier shit, more slide of Darson and, and get you without you knowing it. I appreciate that, too. All this combines for a fucking great fight, dude. This is going to be an excellent fight. I don't know who backs up. I feel like RDA is going to be the one coming forward, and when he gets in the punching range... Ferguson feels like that's an opportunity for him. RDA feels like it's his opportunity, and they throw at each other. And they throw at each other a lot. And this fight gets pacier than it should for a five-round fight in Mexico City. I feel like they're going to burn it out every chance they get. I feel like there's going to be a lot of exchanges and a lot of scrambles on the ground. I feel like either guy can land a big punch and totally swing the momentum of the round. Um Another angle that I appreciate that I use a lot is, is a guy who gets to the top and then falls off or gets to the top and, and almost gets there and almost gets there. He will eventually have a harder time climbing up and, and, and will get beat and, and beat and beat. RDA is kind of in that spot, right? The RDA that we saw look like a fucking juggernaut recently, that's kind of his second incarnation, right? That's not the original RDA. The original RDA, we thought we had saw the best of them, and then he put some shit together and looked unstoppable until he was no longer unstoppable. I don't see a third resurgence. I don't see a third version of RDA. I think we've seen its best. I think Tony is the younger guy on the rise, wants it more, uh, has taken less damage over his career, murderous puncher, amazing willpower, sneaky everywhere. Uh, and and cardio-wise, he might look tired, but he's not going to stop trying to kill you. I see RDA as the one who's taking the breaks if anybody's taking the breaks. So all that combined, I, I see Tony getting to him early-ish, uh, after a crazy back and forth fight, but Tony by stoppage, maybe around late round two, early round three. And you know, one thing about Tony's game that doesn't get enough credit is his elbows, man. His elbows are deadly and they cut you up nice and good. You recall the fight with Edson Barboza, the fight with Josh Thompson. And I mean, even Lando Venati had some nice elbows there. I mean, the elbow he landed against Josh Thompson, that was just absolutely ridiculous. And if he hadn't grabbed the fence, he would have got the stoppage there. But instead, you know, he whooped him for the next two rounds. The elbows are going to be a big weapon in this fight, man. And our best fight pick 
for UFC Mexico is the under three and a half in the main event. And you know, it's funny, a couple weeks back when I played it, it was plus 135. Now it's plus 115, which I still think is a good price, Sean. And look, man, in a fight like this, I think it should be set at over under one and a half. So when I see not two and a half, but three and a half, I know I got to play that under, Sean. I would have taken. I would have taken an even money two and a half. I would have been fine with that. So plus one fifteen at three and a half is is great in my opinion. That's that's worth uh, whatever your normal average bet is minus two units. This is this is worth two units in my opinion. I, I think the winner a little tougher to figure out, but the fact that these guys are going to fucking throw at each other and nobody's going to want to back up, I feel like that's going to happen. So I, I feel like that under is a good bet. So the under three and a half in the main event is our best fight pick for UFC Mexico. We will have a best fight pick for every card as we introduce more segments to the show, which we will do. But moving to the beginning of the card, Sean, we got Enrique Barzola. And wow, he's minus 550 and five dimes. But in, uh, but oh, in, Jesus. But in Bet DSI, he's minus 475. And Chris Avila's plus 425. Now... Look, man, I mean, the thing with Chris Avila is, you know, imagine a, a poor man's version of the Diaz brothers, you know, tall, upright, doesn't check leg kicks, you know, tries to utilize his hands, but, you know, he's just not as good as the Diaz brothers. He tries to fight like them, but you have to be really damn good to fight that kind of style, and uh, Chris Avila isn't quite there yet, but one thing he does have going for him is he's a very young kid. Isn't he only, what, like 23, 24, 25 at yeah. most? He's just a kid, and he trains with great people. So he could be making big improvements in short amounts of time. That's the one thing he has going for him. It wasn't just the Artem Lobov fight. I, you know, his regional scene fights, it was very underwhelming, Sean. And with Enrique Barzola, I got I to gotta tell you what, man. This kid rose to the occasion in both of his UFC fights. The first one, he won the Ultimate Fighter by wrestling a guy for all three rounds. A guy who knocked out Polo Reyes, who we'll talk about in a little bit. And then in his next fight, he outstruck Kyle Bochniak and won a decision, which, you know, the judges, they weren't in their seats for that fight. But we all know Enrique Barzola won that one. So my question here, Sean, is, is Enrique Barzola the kind of guy you put in an open parlay? Or is this the kind of fight you just sit back and watch? No, the the idea of, of paying one, uh, 550 for Enrique Barzola is... Is fucking nuts in my opinion. I I saw that number and I was just like, that's the. I was trying to think of a worse one. I'm trying to think of a of a line that I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? More than that one, and I couldn't even think of one. That's really bad because this guy, he's not good. He's not good. And when you see a minus five fifty, that's you think this guy's gonna win no matter what. That's a that's a locky type price if you're paying that. That you know what I mean? Like if you're a parlay player. You're you're counting on this minus five fifty as your anchor that you don't even have to worry about. So you throw in a minus one sixty and get yourself plus money on the minus one sixty. It's like you're not even considering the minus five fifty. You've already made up your mind that he's gonna win. You've made up your mind that fucking Enrique Barzola's gonna win? Why? You know what I mean? Like, okay, he's not terrible, but I mean He's a Mexican jobber who who, who loses to other Mexicans. Yeah, oh, okay, <laughs> he loses to other other Peruvian slash Mexican jobbers. Like, really, Kyle Bosniak, Martin Melendo, who who Mara, who? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on, man. 
Minus 550, no, no, no. Um, Chris Avila, on the other hand, you're right. He is a poor man's Diaz brother, but he's got some of the same uh, attributes that make them good. He's obviously tough. He's got that come forward thing uh, at all times. He, he doesn't give up on himself. He's just not that skilled, and he's thinking too much out there, and he's young. He shows the uh, potential to get better. Uh, I'm sure he is getting better. I, I hate that setup against the Loboff thing. You, you're brand new. Nate Diaz goes, my little buddy will kick your little buddy's ass. I wonder if one of those little buddies is going, don't get me in this shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now, now Chris Avila has to be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm ready for this. I'm going to kick your ass and Nate's going to kick Connor's ass. Let's go. You know, like what a shitty situation to be thrown into, whether you're ready or not. Here you go. Names on the line. You're representing the Diaz camp. You're early in the night. Hope you go out there and win against a highly experienced dude, even, even though he's not great. Go, go ahead. No pressure, buddy. Yeah, that's a terrible setup. This is a little better, you know? Um, he should show some, some Diaz brother cardio and, and have a shot after probably getting taken down a bunch and, and, and stuffing some uh, in the first round. Maybe put something together in the second round and make it close and then possibly come forward in the third round and, and, and punch and have the better cardio and maybe even land some shots, even though it, you know, he hasn't looked great in that arena. But, you know, Barzola probably wins. I feel like it's going to be competitive, but minus 550 on Barzola, no fucking way, completely out the window. There's no value anywhere on this fight. You've got to consider Enrique Barzola a lock to be okay with minus 550. And Enrique Barzola is a lock against no one in the UFC. Next up, Marco Polo Reyes. He's minus 170. The comeback on Jason Novelli is plus 150. Now, you know, as a fan, how do you not love Polo Reyes? I mean, that fight with the maestro Dong Young Kim was an amazing fight. His knockout of Cesar Arzamendia. Even his fight's on tough, you know. The one when he got knocked out by 2-3 and three Horacio Gutierrez. I mean, that was a good fight, you know, you know what I mean? But, uh... Eventually, that style doesn't lead to longevity in your career, Sean. You know what I mean? Uh, with Leonard, no. With Leonard Garcia, you know, I, I used to love Leonard Garcia back in the day, but a lot of the newer fans, they only saw him lose six fights in a row and lose to guys like Cody McKenzie. They didn't really understand why I was a fan of Leonard Garcia back in the day. And I feel like Polo Reyes is going to have the same kind of tale where, you know, we all love him right now because of that fight, you know, with the maestro Dong Young Kim. But fast forward to a couple to a few fights in the future, and I think it's going to be one of those things where he, you know, puts together a bunch of losses in a row because, dude, you cannot have that fucking zombie style, you know, the take a bunch of punches to give a bunch of punches. It just does not work in high-level MMA. Now, I know Jason Novelli, you know, he does have a bit of that tall man defense, but he's got a couple things going for him, man. Firstly, he did train in the altitude because he trains at Cowboys Ranch, which is in New Mexico. You already know the deal with that. So he's been putting in work with good guys. You look at his two losses. Now, I know his first loss is to Ben Fodor, the fucking superhero guy. But you ready to hear me defend that loss? Check it, check it out. So, Go for it. So he won a fight on February 12th. On February 21st, which is, you know, like a week later or something... He takes this fight against Ben Fodor, a weight class up in a championship fight. So who the fuck knows what kind of shape he was in for that? He was probably, you know, it was a Paul Felder 
situation, you know, drinking beer in his bathtub, icing his shins, then he gets the call to do a title fight up a weight class. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so he lost to the superhero guy. So I can excuse that. And then the next loss to Timor, hey, Timor looked better than ever that night. It is what it is. Everyone has to take that first UFC loss. But on the same token, I think he comes back better in his sophomore appearance. And I think this is a good spot for him to catch Polo Reyes. Because, I mean, dude, Polo, he's chinny as fuck. Uh, we can both agree on that. I mean, not only did he get knocked out by two and three Horacio Gutierrez, but, I mean, uh, fucking Dong Young Kim, not stunned him, but the maestro, you know, he dropped him and rocked him multiple times in that fight. Even the fight with Cesar Arzamindia, his takedown defense wasn't looking that good. His get-up game wasn't bad, but his takedown defense wasn't that good. I think Novelli is the bigger guy here. I think he can walk him down. And if he wants to take him down, I think he can do that. But I actually think he's going to walk him down and he's going to knock him out. So, you know, I normally don't play lower-level fighters. But I think this is a good spot to take the shot on Novelli. And I took a one-unit shot at plus 150, man. I, I like Novelli here, too. I You know... The price on Reyes right now is indicative of, oh, man, you see his last fight? Wow, you see his last fight? Yeah, I saw his last fight. I've seen all his fights. He, he, he's constantly going life and death against jobbers. Yeah, he, he gets the knockout, but he's always in it. It's always danger zone. It's always butt-clenching time. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's always vulnerable in all facets. Um, if you're getting knocked around by a low-level Korean guy, it's, it's a problem. That's just the truth, you know. That that was a great fight. It was very entertaining. But what are you doing, man? You know what I mean? Like you, you're just just saying fuck it and and just brawling forever. That's your game plan. That's what that's what's going to happen. That doesn't lead you anywhere. That 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 gets you fans, but they forget you when you lose to Jason Novelli. Uh, it just happens that way. You've got to win, and his style is not indicative of of, of winning. It's about bloodbath time and and the first guy who well not in this case not the first guy a guy who goes okay guess what i'm not brawling with you no brawl for you no win for you i'm just gonna hit you with three and then i'm leaving and then i'm gonna do that over and over again until you get tired or until i catch you with the big one and that big one's coming and he's not he's not easy to hurt or excuse me he's not hard to hurt he's pretty easy to get to him and to, to rock this guy and to hurt him. And Novelli, he has his own problems, but what he is, is, is tall. He's rangy. He's pretty sharp. He has this thing from this other sport called boxing. It's called a jab. You don't see it much in this sport, but jab is very effective. Uh, more people should do that. And I think, you know, long strikes, long jabs, long straights keeps him out of the brawl. Keeps him on the end of uh, end of the shots, landing power wears him down, and eventually gets to him with a big shot. I, I like uh, Novelli here as well. Also in the lightweight division, or actually no, this is the welterweight division. We got Max Payne Griffin. He's minus one fifty five, and Eric Montano is plus one thirty five. Now. I understand why Max Griffin's the favorite, you know, he is the better fighter on paper, but man, he's coming off a serious ass whooping and it was very recently, you know, that Colby Covington took him to school and now there's no shame in losing to that guy, but I mean, dude, take some time off after a whooping like that, man, that was bad. And with uh, Eric Montano, he actually looked really good against Randy Brown. I mean, really good or is Randy Brown just really not that great, you know, one or the other, but bottom line. Eric Montano, you know, he won the Randy Brown fight until he got choked out, right? So, you know, he's making a short turnaround here. 
with Max Griffin, the way you take this guy down, you don't take him down in the center of the octagon. You put him up against the cage. You chain the takedowns. That's how you get him down. Montano has the size here. I just don't know if he's going to be able to, to you know, take down Max Griffin. And if he does, he'll win the fight. If he doesn't, I think he'll get pieced up. I really have no idea here, Sean. I, this is a tough one to figure out because here's the thing. Here's what I weigh when I went into this fight thinking uh, I'm going to bet Griffin. I'm thinking I'm going to bet Griffin because it's the hands that I was always interested in uh, before he got to the UFC. They looked pretty good. They looked real. Like they looked, uh, he was interested in getting to you and landing a combination on you and, and, and doing it technically and hurting you. Um, and his other things were good enough to support that outcome. In his UFC fight, he just got battered. You know what I mean? Like he just had nothing. And when it came time for him to be in a position to throw his hands, he was just too grinded out to do it or, or too something to do it, too worried about the takedown to do it. Uh, he looked terrible. Do people usually look terrible in their debut? Yeah. You know, is Max Griffin way better than Montano? Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know if the regional Griffin is the real guy or the guy that we just saw is the real guy. Um, and as far as Eric Montano goes, I think we've seen the real guy. I think we see what he does. You know what I mean? Like he throws ill-advised spinning kicks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, takes terrible takedown attempts. Um Man, he could have he could have won know. that Brown fight. He was like plus four seventy five. One dumb mistake cost him everything. Yeah, he did. I mean, he had it. He had it in the bag, and then did that dumb shit. But like, I don't know. There was no, you know, there was no real smarts or urgency there. He just kind of keeps on doing what he did over and over again, sloppily against Randy Brown, who really didn't do anything the whole time. Uh, this is tough to figure out, but. The, the price is ridiculous, or at least it was when it first came out, so I completely dropped the idea of betting on the fight altogether, but Max Griffin is the better guy. I think he can land punches and hurt Montano or at least turn the fight in his favor and win the decision that way. So I, I like Griffin, but another pass. You know about these dudes, uh, Claudio Puelas or Martin Bravo? They're both sitting at minus 110 apiece. Nope. I didn't watch any of them. I knew right away as soon as that was added that I wasn't going to go back and look at any of it. I'm t I totally skipped it. Well, they both have good records going into the fight, so may the best man win. Now, Sean. Do they have Peruvian records? Mexican <laughs> records? <laughs> Let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So the fight to watch, UFC Mexico, what is it, man? I mean, the fight to watch is, is Darius and Magomedov. Like, whether you, you know, I, I love that Russian style. You might not finish people, but so technical and, and so, like, you're understanding things. And I like watching these guys see something and then do something and then figure it out and chain it together. And he does that. And these are the kind of people who stick around, win fights they're not supposed to, and, and are just dangerous for everybody. Uh, when they plug their holes and they get it going and they don't have that many flaws and they force you to deal with their strengths. They can be anybody, um, you know, and that is an archetype for a lot of these guys, but he's, he's a good one, especially a good boxing one. And on the other side of the coin is, you know, so far 
unfulfilled potential on Benil Dariush, a guy who's a jiu-jitsu specialist who, with great subs who is attached to the striking game that's exciting to watch. Um, you know, and and he's vulnerable, and he can be gotten to, and and that's fun to watch too. So something's going to happen. If it goes Magomedov's way and it's super technical, you get to watch this guy surgically take apart another guy. And if it goes Dariush's way, it's probably going to be something really explosive and pretty to look at. So at the very least, something fun's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, Magomedov versus Dariush, that's absolutely one of your fights to watch. Now, I'm going to be lame and go with the main event because, look, man, Rafael Dos... Oh, that is lame. <laughs> Rafael Dos Anjos was looked at unstoppable at one point, and then he got stopped. When Tony Ferguson, eight-fight win streak, if he wins this fight, no doubt about it, he will get a title shot. But, I mean, taking on the former champion in Mexico, tall order, that is your fight to watch for UFC Mexico. Sean, who is the fighter to watch? Uh, I can't use the same one. Let's see. I'd say the the fighter to watch is Tony Ferguson. It's it's time now for him. If he's going to be the guy that we want him to be, he's always been fun and amazing to watch. The fights are always super exciting. But if he knocks out RDA right now, there's going to be a couple naysayers who go, eh, you know, RDA was done at that point. He's really not. He's really an elite in the in the most elite of divisions in the UFC. And if Tony Ferguson can get rid of him, that's a big fucking deal. And it, it proves that Tony Ferguson is somebody that needs to be dealt with, who can beat you in numerous ways and, and, and make all of us have fun watching it. So I think uh, Tony Ferguson coming into his own and, and saying, hey, the, the title shot has to be me, that the, now is the time. Yeah, all eyes will be on Tony Ferguson. My fighter watches Benil Dariush. Look, a lot of people have been saying this kid is a future world champion. Rashid Magomedov is one of the toughest stylistic matchups for not just Benil Dariush, but for anyone in the lightweight division. If Benil Dariush can go out there and defeat a guy like Rashid, that'll only not be a testament to his maturity, but to his spot in the UFC lightweight division that he could be one of the emerging title contenders if he wins this fight. So for that reason, Benil Dariush is your fighter to watch. Now, Sean, it's been pretty damn good having a co-host uh, for the first time on Half the Battle, bro. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, man, so, uh, shit, I don't even know how to end this show, man, because normally it's guests and shit like that. I mean, let the audience know what's up, bro. Let's just keep going. What's that? I said, let's not end it. Let's just keep going. I know, let's, let's go. Let's talk about every fight. Let's talk about Rousey, man. <laughs> it's weird how much I hate Rousey, but how much I like talking about her fights. Is that bad? Am I a hypocrite? I can't stand her. I don't like women's fighting, but I'll jump on a Rousey conversation in a second. And a plus 220 line on Amanda Nunes. Ew. Oh, going to sleep. Yeah, that's going to be fun, man. Uh, I cannot wait, you know. Because, like, you know, Connor always talks about you either face defeat like a champion or you face defeat like a journeyman. You know, when uh, Connor McGregor faced defeat, he wanted to fight the exact same person in the exact same weight class in the exact that's same right. scenario. When Ronda, right. when Ronda Rousey faced defeat, she quit the sport, she ran. But now she's coming back, so you know. But man, that interview with uh, with Ellen that wasn't uh, that didn't give me much confidence, bro. No, it's terrible. Look, there's a there's another huge comparison. When I saw, I ended up being wrong, but 
when I saw how Anderson Silva acted after getting knocked out by Chris Weidman, I said, oh, you're never winning the fight in the UFC again. I don't, like, what champion goes, hey, do you want to show the title? Nah, no, nah, no shot at the title. He's got it. I feel better now with no title. Okay, I get, I mean, you can't tell me the, the signal can be no clearer. The signal can be no clearer than that. The signal can be no clearer for Ronda Rousey to get KO'd brutally, take 50 years off, say a bunch of shit about not fighting anymore, say a bunch of shit about killing herself and she should just do this and hiding and then throwing on a sweet 30 pounds of milkshakes. And then, you know, now the first thing that she's saying on the way back to fight the champion is, eh, this would be one of my last fights. Okay. It can be one of your last fights. It's definitely going to be your, your actual, your last fight because you're not fighting the champion who's thinking, um, this might be one of my last fights. She's thinking, I'm going to make so much money when I'm done drinking Ronda Rousey's blood. It's going to be crazy. I'm going to kill her. I'm going to make my name off of her. I'm going to be the next Conor McGregor. I'm knocking this bitch out. Okay, that's who you're dealing with. So deal with that while you're thinking about a movie and deal with that while you're thinking about your shitty camp and deal with that when you're thinking about last time you got knocked out. Now you're coming back with no warm up. Terrible situation. History repeats itself. Nobody gets past this. Nobody comes out and says, eh, I don't know, and then just fucking wins. Nah. Problems. And Amanda Nunes, she told me firsthand to keep betting money on her. So uh, let's keep betting money on her. Let's. Well, Sean, man, it's been a fucking pleasure. We're going to be back next week, and uh, we're working on a very special guest to break down the fights with us. Cannot wait to get it confirmed. Very excited. Man, very exciting times for half the battle, dude. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you're my co-host. The fans are glad. This is going to be a good time, and uh, we're going to take this shit to the next level, dude. That's right. It's going to be fun. Let's do it. Yes, sir. All right. Well, all the fans, check out Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and now on Stitcher which I'm very happy to be on because everyone's been bugging me. <laughs> everyone's been telling me I need to get on Stitcher. Well, I'm finally on Stitcher. And bestfightpicks.com for all the plays, at bestfightpicks on Twitter. Sean, where can they follow you, man? Uh, Sean Carey Tattoo on Twitter. That um, You can buy my bets at furiousfightpicks.com if you're interested in that. If you want to see my tattoos and my actual work, uh, that's Sean Carey Tattoo on Instagram. Awesome. Well, for all the fans, listeners, and supporters of Half the Battle, thank you so much. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. Hey, hey, hey.